Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Girls, boys, how would you like to eat grasshoppers? Even chocolate ones might not be that good. Anyway, but he put honey on them. (laughs) Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region around Jordan came to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I, indeed, baptize you with water unto repentance. But he is coming who is... After me, mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus said, answered and said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, our focus in a worship meeting is not just instruction. It's worship. And if by the preaching of the Word, you are always instructed somewhat. But the whole point of this service is to focus you on the person of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, in every book that we've studied, we have asked you to look and see and find Jesus. What's the purpose of that? This is not in my notes. (laughs) The purpose of it is this. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. So this is the only thing we have. And when we worship Jesus Christ for who he is, something wonderful happens inside of us. We become zealous for making sure that the whole world knows. We can't keep it quiet anymore. The whole world should know that we are Christians. I was studying uh, a Sunday school lesson that uh, uh, Kevin and Elaine are teaching uh, because I think it's really interesting and, and good study. And um, 
one of the things that the author in there said is that the church at Antioch set their church up not as an institution, but as a movement. And we, it's okay to be institutional in some times. But sometimes when, when we just want to sit down and say, we've always done it this way, we're becoming institutionalized. We need to be a movement. There needs to be a movement in your heart for Jesus that is so contagious that it just spills over to the world. That's why we're here this morning. And hopefully, in my mere dust personage, uh, we'll, we'll get that out of this passage today. You know, when John the Baptist came on the scene preaching in the wilderness, he was the predicted forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. And, as Jason said, the bulletin that announces the good news, the proclaimer of the Messianic kingdom. The term kingdom of heaven is, is only mentioned in Matthew. In other gospel, it's called the kingdom of God. I want you to, there's people who try to say separate this. This, this is not separated. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the same, contrary to some commentators. You can't be in the kingdom of heaven without having God as your king. And you can't be in the kingdom of God without being in God's kingdom. So they're both the same thing. The ways John refers to himself here are several, mainly just as a voice. This is a reference to two Old Testament scriptures. I'm going to read these. Isaiah 40. No, let's see. Yeah, Isaiah 40, 1 through 5, and Malachi 3, 1. 40, Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says our God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord hand double for all of her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And John the Baptist talked about valleys and mountains. But you want to know what he was really talking about? People. People who are low and and oppressed will be lifted up. People who think they're something will be brought down. All before the feet of the Messiah. And then Malachi says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, that's Jesus, in whom you say you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. Now John's clothing here. <laughs> you know, there's a later passages in Matthew that deals a lot with John the Baptist, who he was and everything. So I'm not going to go into all that today. When we get there, it's very self-explanatory. But it says in Matthew 3, 4, he had a, 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 a garment of camel's hair. And this is kind of evokes the image of Elijah. In fact, he was told in Luke that he would go forth in the spirit of Elijah. His garments were common to a nomadic desert dweller and were associated with poor people. Locust and wild honey were not an unusual source of food back then because this, this, this locust, uh, it was called acris, is a large grasshopper. It's still eaten by poor people in, in places like the Middle East and Africa. Uh, or, or you can go to some French restaurant <laughs> and get it, you know. 
I, I'll never forget the first time I found out what escargot was. Anybody know what it is? Snails. Can't believe that, but anyway. Now, all the people in Judea and the surrounding districts, they all come out to John and they're being baptized by water. It doesn't say how he baptized them, folks. It doesn't say he immersed them. It doesn't say he sprinkled them. It doesn't say he poured the water on it. It just says he baptized them. And the word baptized means to be overwhelmed. Now, we baptize by immersion because we believe that the, that's what the Bible says. But we have no contention with any brother or sister in the Lord who is baptized a different way. What's the point of baptism? The Lord. Not the person doing the baptism, not even the person being baptized other than to express something. Now, in the case of John the Baptist, baptism was an Old Testament uh, function. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But with Christ and the New Testament, when we are baptized, it's an indicator of something else. It's an indicator that we are in union with Jesus, union with him. Listen to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says, In him you trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We are actually baptized by the Holy Spirit the moment we believe. Really believe. Not the moment we say we believe. The moment we really believe. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit. That is not an experience of speaking or doing something that's just completely out of order. Because God is a God of order. It is a statement of fact that we take by faith that when I believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit sealed me in Jesus forever. That's good stuff, isn't it? Now, he sees these Pharisees and Sadducees coming. (laughs) I love the way Jesus and John talk to these people. We would never, ever, ever dare say this to anybody in our congregation. Because we really don't have the discernment they had. He called them a brood of vipers. (laughs) What were they? Well... The Pharisees were a layman's fellowship popular with common people and connected to local synagogues, chiefly characterized by adherence to extensive non-biblical practices. They thought it was biblical, but they didn't even care if it was biblical. This small group would derive their authorities from the activities of the temple, and if you didn't rigorously obey their laws, you were an outcast. They probably were aristocratic and certainly coming from a a priestly line. Vipers (laughs) were well known for their subtle movements and their lethal strikes. Think about what he's calling them. He calls them to repentance. And he says, not just an outward show of just getting baptized, but produce fruit and deeds in accordance with real repentance. You know, when a person really repents, they're not going to be perfect and they're still going to sin. But they don't want to anymore. You know, a pig falls in a mud hole and says, I'm home. A sheep falls in a mud hole and says, clean me up and get me out of this. But they both fall in a mud hole once in a while. (laughs) 
Now he cautions them in another way. He says, don't try to claim Abraham as your father. He tells them that it's nothing for God to just raise up children of Abraham right from the rocks laying around there on the ground. And telling them essentially what he's really saying is they must be born again. John 1, 12 and 13 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, not of blood. In other words, there's no physical descent from Abraham that's going to get you into heaven. Not of the will of the flesh. You just don't someday choose to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's his work. Nor ceremonially. Can a man come and lay his hand on you and say, okay, you're a child of God now. (laughs) John makes an interesting statement here, and we're going to consider this for a few minutes. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. What does he mean? The axe is laid at the root of the tree. All people born into this world come from one tree. His name is Adam. It's a person. And there's nothing in this associated birth with Adam that brings you close to God in any way. Not your religion, not anything you can do. And in the tree of Adam, it's corrupt, it's bad, and it cannot bear good fruit. It really basically takes religion completely out as a source of any kind of comfort or help. I remember I was counseling with a couple one time that came and wanted me to marry them. And one of them was Jewish and one of them wasn't. And we were talking. And the ladies, neither one of them knew the Lord at the time. And the lady said to me, I've been looking on the Internet for a religion that me and my husband can eventually live with. <laughs> and I let them talk for a few minutes. And then afterwards I said, well, first of all, let me just tell you this. There is no religion in the world, including the one you're sitting in right here, that can give you peace, give you a right relationship with God, or a good marriage. The lady's jaw just dropped open. What? I said, but there's a person who can. And that's what we're about here at this church. The person, not the religion. When Jesus died on the cross, I want you to get this picture in your mind. God was laying the axe to the root of the trees. In other words, that wasn't just Jesus hanging there. That was Adam. And everybody in Adam was being cut off at that point. And all of the judgment and all the pain and all the sin that we've ever, ever, ever committed or caused was immediately an axe was laid to it and it was cut off forever. Wow, that's what Jesus did on the cross. We, we say, lead me to the cross. Well, folks, that's what John is talking about here. The axe is where God is done trying to give men a religious way to approach Him ceremonial or any other way and He just lays the axe to the root and says, I'm done with that old people. The beauty of it is he brought in eternal life 
through the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that neat? You know, I don't think that there's any philosopher in the world that would ever come up with a a message like that. And you can tell all the religions of the world, literally all the religions of the world, even some of the ones who name the name of Christian, all of them are based on something you do to be acceptable with God. All of them, except true Christianity. We have a message that's so offensive to those who want to want to be Pharisees or want to take pride in their own good works that just that drives them away. Unless God is doing a regenerating work in their heart and it draws them. So the same message that offends some draws some. And I don't have a list. I don't know who they are. God told me to go preach to every creature, so I'm leaving that up to Him. But I sure rejoice when I see somebody really repent and come to Christ. It just like, whew, look at the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. Those of us who have been baptized in Christ, both by water and by the Holy Spirit, have agreed that when Christ died, we died. The old tree's gone. We've been grafted in now by the generating work, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit into a new tree, a tree of life which is Christ. And now we bear the fruit of the Spirit. I know we don't do it all the time, okay? But here's the thing I want you to take away from this idea of the axe laid to the root of the trees. Here's the idea I want you to take away from it. It's finished. You can stop striving. You can stop doing programs. You can stop designing ideas and ways to serve the Lord. You don't have to do that. Everything is right here. It is finished. You can relax. Don't worry about your relationship with the Lord according to Scripture. You're fine. (laughs) Now that's a hard hard for us to accept. There must be something I can do to improve on this salvation. Well, be careful that you don't try to insult God in the process. You see, everything comes from the cross of Christ. And when He cried out, it's finished, that's what He meant. The axe has been laid. It's over, folks. If you're a Christian, you're okay. Because Christ did it all. And that He's sitting down. There's not a thing I have to do to improve on that. And John says in 1 John 4, which we're going to study in our home teams, As He is now, so am I in this world. Woo! You see, we need to take our eyes off ourselves. And who we are in the old Adam and how miserably we fail the Lord. (laughs) And put them on him who's always victorious. Who always leads us in his triumph. Who always brings us into a place of victory. Even when we're in the lowest, stinkingest place in the world and we can't imagine where God is. You know what? People have asked, I've heard them ask, you know, how do you... Talk about the compassion of God when Harvey's coming this way and Irma's coming this way. They're about to converge. What is God's message? You know what it is? Repent. Repent. Every time God does something, even in the book of Revelation, when He's pouring out all of His wrath on this world for rejecting Christ, He looks, He stops, and He looks to see if they will what? Repent. Do they? 
No, they shake their fist and curse him. Is this the loving God you Christians talk about? Yes, he is. Because I'll tell you what, nothing anybody in those flood victims or hurricane victims, tornado victims, earthquake victims, nothing compares to the agony that Jesus Christ bore because you are the cause of bad things. Not God. Okay. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he tells us the deeds of the flesh. And he says, this is what you once were. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. How many times do I have to tell you this, he says. Church! Watch out for these people. Deal with it. God wants a holy church. What does that mean? It means separate from these things that I just read here. We're not supposed to get all upset when we have to put somebody under discipline. It's a, it's a hate, or not a hateful, it's a difficult thing to do. It's something I hate doing. But you know what? If, if we don't try to lead our congregation into holiness, then we failed. As a leadership. Now, he calls us with he this warning, and if there hasn't been repentance and there's no consistent life and there is a consistent sinning, there's no inheritance with God. He says, in another place, don't be deceived by this. And this is what John was saying to these brood of vipers that came to be baptized. You're just you're just gonna get in the water and get out of the water and say, Look, I did what I was supposed to do, now I'm gonna go back and do exactly what I did before. Hmm. Are you willing to warn your neighbors about the wrath to come so they can flee to Christ for cover? This is what we mean by being born twice. Born into Adam, everybody is. We have to be born by the Spirit into Christ. If you're not, do something about it. You say, well, I can't make myself a Christian. No, you can't. But you can cry out to the God who loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son, you can cry out to him any time you want to. You don't have to get out of a pew and come down here. I got saved in my living room. Cry out. God, grant me repentance. I don't want to be this way. And I'll tell you something. That's a prayer he'll listen to. That's not the sinner's prayer. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It is a sinner's prayer, (laughs) but it's a realization of your defeat without Christ. So John relates this to baptism. He said not only baptism, but he, he said he did not have the power to baptize in the Spirit. He had a message of just get prepared for the kingdom is coming. Jesus, I mean, you know, when he said he wasn't qualified to loose the sandal of Jesus, and then Christ comes... He will baptize you, he said, with the Holy Spirit and fire. And what did he mean by that? Well, he meant what he, his own commentary. You know, a lot of times you read a, a thing in the Bible, and, oh, that's really difficult to understand. Read on. There's a commentary. You don't have to go to Matthew Henry or John Gill or, or any other modern-day commentary to see what that means. 
every time there's something there, the person writing in the Scripture comments on what they mean. And John does too. He likens this situation of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire to a farmer. A farmer who at harvest time, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he he brings all of his wheat in and puts it on the threshing floor. And he takes the big uh, threshing uh, winnowing fork and he throws it in the air. And when he does, the husk or the chaff breaks off. And the wind is blowing and it blows it away. But the corn of wheat is so heavy it falls back down. And he does this over and over and over again. And he says this. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Wheat representing true believers, of course. Chaff representing the ungodly and pretenders. And gather his wheat into the barn. And then he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a lot of the lot of chaff. All those who reject Christ end up in the lake of fire. Even if you're pretending that you have him. All of us deserve hell. We know that, right? Okay. It was originally created, though, for the devil, not us. But by our very nature, we have a tendency to follow the devil while believing he doesn't even exist. That's one of Satan's favorite little tricks. He doesn't exist. Now, here's the good news. 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, he says, that Christ Jesus came into the world to make religious people, correct me, save sinners, of whom, he says, I am the foremost, I am the chief. So if he can save me, he can save anybody. (laughs) That's what he's saying. I feel the same way. If he can save me, he can save anybody. Now, Jesus comes to be baptized And we're not sure where in the Jordan River John was. It doesn't actually say. So we don't know how far Jesus had to travel from Nazareth to get to where John was. But he took the time to do it. And he walks up to John and says, baptize me. And John says, whoa, I really ought to be baptized by you. And his response, permit it now to fulfill all righteousness. Oh, why would Jesus, who never sinned, perform an act of repentance before people? He didn't need it. You see, baptism was an act of cleansing in the Old Testament. It wasn't called baptism, it was called washing. But when a priest would go into the temple, he would offer a sacrifice and then step into the labor of washing and in a ceremonial sign of putting off sin. That was what it was. But Jesus didn't want anybody to question John's authority. And later on, when he talks about that John's authority, and he even asks the question, in fact, if you wouldn't mind, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. And if you have my notes, it's already there. <laughs> Luke 20, verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days that he, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, Tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority? Now listen to his answer. But he answered them, I will ask you one thing 
and then and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, Now, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, Well, then why didn't you believe him? And if we say from men, the people will stone us because they think John's a prophet. So they answered him, We don't know where it's from. And I love Jesus' response. Should they have known that John's baptism was from heaven? Yes, they should have. But they didn't. They refused to answer. They knew it was from heaven, but they knew if they said it was, then they would be admitting that if, if John's baptism was from heaven, then Jesus' authority is equal or greater than John's. And we should be obeying him. But no, <laughs> they didn't want to do that. So he said, neither will I tell you why, how I do these things, by what authority. Jesus' statement to them made them realize within themselves how hypocritical, how pretending they were. I've had people come up to me and say, you believe this or that or that. Or, what about this scripture? And you know what? Every time that happens, somebody's taking it out of context. I said, well, let's read five verses in the back and five verses in the front and see what it means. I'm not a genius. I don't know. I only rely on what Scripture says. Don't take something out of context. So Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens are opened up and descends like a dove. That doesn't mean it was a dove. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit. It just means that's the way it came down, almost flitting and fl- uh, alighting like a dove. This is obviously a statement of God that he made in Daniel, chapter 9, of anointing the most holy. Now, the anointing of Jesus here took place for four reasons. I want you to get this, okay? One, to confirm to him of his supernatural ministry. Only through the Spirit would he be able to do anything. He even said that. Two, to confirm him as the anointed one, the Messiah. Three, to complete the prophecy of the Messiah that's all over the Old Testament. And four, to anoint him as the true king of Israel. And then a voice comes from heaven. It's God's voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God has declared in an audible voice that he's pleased with Jesus. And what he's really saying is there's no other way of salvation. This is the one I'm pleased with. This is where it all stops. This is where the axe is laid to the root of the trees. This is the finished work, Jesus the Messiah. This is my Israel. This is my covenant. This is my Messiah. This is me. I'm pleased with him. Are you pleased with him? He was pleased with him at his baptism, at his ministry. He was pleased at his death. He was pleased with him and is today as the risen, resurrected Christ in whom death cannot hold. And we say, was God pleased with his death? Listen to Isaiah chapter 53, 10 and 11. It pleased the Lord to crush him. He put him to grief. 
when his soul makes an offering for sin, he, that is God, will see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He shall see the agony of his soul and be satisfied or pleased. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. This is our Savior. This is the person I want you to worship with me. And we worship together. Not to come to a worship service is just a bunch of baloney. It's a carnal Christian who only goes to Sunday school and doesn't come to worship. Or doesn't come to church at all. For your sake and me, it pleased the Lord to crush him. To bruise him. When you look at the cross and you see your sin, you see God pouring out all of his anger on sin on one person and being so satisfied with it that Jesus could cry out, it is finished. And have God say, I'm satisfied. What then will be the state of those who reject Christ? And nothing to look forward to but wrath. Because there's no other covering that can save. To you who have been by faith justified in the Lord Jesus, which is a wonderful thing. And God says to Jesus, I'm well pleased with you. Let me ask you something. How does he feel about you? No, seriously, how does God feel about you? Every moment of every day. How does he feel about you? Well, let me just tell you this. If the Lord is completely pleased with his son, then he is completely pleased with you. Get it? You're in Christ. You can't be in a better place. I don't care how badly you perform this week or how good you perform this week. You're in Christ. God is pleased with you. Hallelujah. This should excite you. This should cause you to worship. This should cause you to get out of here and go out and knock on doors and kick the doors down and say, there's a fire in your house and I have the answer. I'm the fireman. That's what you are, a bunch of firemen. And I've got a message for you, and it's going to offend you down to your toes because you're going to have to come to the place of admitting that you're worth nothing before God. All your religion, all your doings, all your programs are worth nothing. But what about being in Christ? (coughs) If you're here today and you're standing on the outside, I don't mean you're not sitting in this building, but you're standing on the outside and Jesus is calling, come unto me and I will give you rest. And that's exactly what he meant. Come on! I had a friend one time whose wife was a counselor and some people came one time and she was talking to them and she goes, have you all accepted Jesus? And they said, no, not yet. She goes, why? (laughs) I ask you, why? And if you're a believer, why are you sitting down anyplace else but in Jesus? Why are you getting up in the morning and worrying about whether God's going to be pleased with you that day? Folks, He's pleased with you. 
If you're in Christ, He's pleased with you. He couldn't be more pleased with you because he, there is nothing you can add to the salvation of Jesus Christ. Not one thing. I serve Him not in order to be pleased, pleasing to God, but because I already am. And I get so excited about sharing the Word of God. Oh, I get excited, excited about seeing people here sweeping the floor, mopping the floor, cleaning this, this or that, working in the kitchen, uh, putting up chairs, taking down chairs. Now, Tim Hawkins says that, you know, people come up and say, John, you have a servant's heart. You know that? You have a servant's heart. Oh, brother, you have a servant's heart. You know what that means? We need you to stack chairs. <laughs> That's not what it means. But he also said, well, maybe I have a preacher's spleen. I don't know. Anyway, how does God feel about you? Come on in. It's really comfortable in here. Not this building here. Look at the look at the attendance last week. Why? Somebody asked me, he said, we're going to one service. Could we start in here? Could we do it in here? Look at that attendance. This building, this, this place, holds 110 comfortably, and that's it. 120 uncomfortably. We'd have to set up 38 chairs. That would cause more distraction than anything. A lady asked me this morning, now we're going to meet in here or over there in January. I said, over there. She goes, is God going to be there? I said, if God is in a forest where people, who are, where it's against the law to be a Christian, have to crawl out in the forest to worship, guarantee he'll be over there. Amen? So let's not look at this. This is just a bunch of bricks. And it's a very dear place. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying anything against that. But we are a church. And where we meet is irrelevant. Well, some of you are doing this and some of you are going, hmm. The main thing is nothing you can experience in this world can compare to belonging to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your son. Lord, he demonstrated to us what holiness really is, what righteousness really is. It isn't even doing something we have to do. We do it so because it pleases you, because we're, you're pleased with us in your Son. And thank you that this work is so finished. There's not a thing we can do to improve on it, and that's where our worship comes from. We are amazed as we gaze at you, Lord, at the amazing finished power and the way you have done it all. Your plan, your, 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 your scheme of things, Lord, is just amazing. And we lift our hearts to you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for taking little sinful piles of dust like us and drawing us out of this corrupt world, snatching us like a firebrand into your holy covenant. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.